Welcome to this episode of Doctors Who Create. It's the very first episode of our special Reimagine Healthcare series, where we invite listeners to contribute their ideas about how we can improve clinical practice by putting their creative skills to work. I'm Darlena Liu, and I'm joined by fellow fourth-year medical student and producer, Mekala Nilakuntan. So we both worked really hard on getting some interviews about the topic of rounding. And I think the first thing that I was looking into when I was inspired by this topic was what is the history of rounding? And it sounds like that's been going on for hundreds of years now, really, actually. In the beginning, physicians would go round on their patients from house to house, door to door. And that was the beginning of it. And then later on, I've heard their stories of Dr. Osler at Johns Hopkins, and he would uh, bring his team and they would go around um, the floor and it was actually circular. And I think that's where really specifically <laughs> came up as a term. Um, so thinking about how it's changed in so many ways from its initial purpose to, to what it is today. And as we're both fourth year medical students, so we've had experiences doing some rounding on different services. Any particular rounding experiences that were really memorable for you, Mikla? I definitely am partial to pediatrics. So so I've loved, you know, my experiences with family-centered rounding and, you know, even from pre-rounding to then chatting with the attending and then chatting again with the family and kind of all the interdisciplinary um, staff and team involved. I've really, really enjoyed that experience because you get to see how, how people's minds work, what they think of the plan, um, kind of the plan changing on the spot. And I just like the dynamic aspect of it. Um, and I've also really liked my um, internal medicine rounding experiences where, again, it just really feels like you're on this um, you know, great big team really working for the patient. Uh, so I don't know. It's just a nice kind of glimpse into the teamwork in medicine. What about you, Darlena? Totally. I feel like family-centered rounds when I first experienced that on pediatrics also really stood out to me and thinking about how do we translate all of this medical jargon into things that patients and their families can understand. That was definitely really challenging, but also I think a lot of what I like about medicine is being that interpreter. It did make me question though at times like should we almost be doing like two different types of rounds in those situations because sometimes there were certain critical lab values that I felt like were important to talk to like with the residents and the attending but I feel like sometimes getting into the weeds of like you know like the exact sodium level and potassium level I don't really feel like that was necessarily as helpful for the patient and their family. And I think in some cases it seemed almost more like anxiety provoking. So I, I wonder if there's a way that we could have conveyed that information to like talked shop and then presented it to the patient and in a more general way talking about, oh, like we did some labs uh, about your electrolytes and we're going to replenish them or something like that. Do you know what I mean? That makes a lot of sense. That actually is something that I've noticed too is I, I feel like rounding in itself, you know, does have kind of standardized um, components to it. But I think based on the situation that you're in or the type of patients that you're with, it should be kind of changed based on that. Because you're right, there have been some instances where I'm like, oh, maybe we didn't need to kind of explain it in that way. Or maybe it would have been better to have two different, you know, rounding sessions, one more about, you know, like you said, talking shop and one more explaining to the family specifically what the plan is going to be for that day. 
And on some rotations, I've even had like designated teaching rounds. So we'd go around with the express purpose of finding patients whose cases were more educational and then approaching it that way, which I thought was helpful in, in terms of making sure rounds were educational because sometimes with the everyday rounds, there is the pressure, of course, working in a hospital to get all the clinical work done. And maybe that leaves less room for teaching. And um, in terms of other rounding experiences, as someone who's going into psychiatry, I for sure appreciate we have a chance to sit down and talk with such an interdisciplinary team. I think it's so crucial to hear from, you know, like social work to talk about discharge planning and talk with nurses. I also wonder in this pandemic era of things really transforming by necessity, how rounding has been affected by that too. Uh, Because I imagine, you know, there's more virtual components and probably more, you know, table rounding and things like that. I'm really excited to hear what all of our interviewees had to say and kind of understanding a little bit more from their perspectives, what they feel like could be improved on in rounding, what they feel like is just happening because it's always happened, you know, things like that. Our listeners are in for a real treat this episode. Lots of different perspectives. Enjoy! To understand his take on rounding, I sat down with Dr. David Hill, hospitalist pediatrician at Goldsboro Pediatrics in North Carolina, as well as an adjunct assistant professor of pediatrics at the UNC School of Medicine. Dr. Hill also has several roles within the AAP um, and has a podcast of his own. Welcome, Dr. Hill. So my first question to you is, what is your definition of rounding? You know, for me, rounds encompass the vast majority of patient care if we're doing it right. You know, the first thing I have to do is acquire information. And there are more sources than ever for getting information. Uh, So when I start, I start at the computer to make sure that I'm caught up. Now, I'm a hospitalist, so I have a 24-hour shift. And I guess you could say my rounds start at sign-out when my partner, either in person or by phone, usually I'm driving into work. Am I going to watch? When am I not going to watch? And that's also a moment where error can be introduced. And I think it's important for me to sort of combine the trust that I have in my partners who are giving me this this handoff with an understanding that they have seen this patient through their own lens, through their own cognitive biases, their own experiences or lack thereof. And so one thing that's really difficult but important for me to do is after I take that handoff to kind of wipe the slate clean. I got to put a little, you know, push pin on everything they thought was important. But then I have to also come to the patient as though I just admitted them myself. If it wasn't somebody that I admitted, I have to go back through my own process and say, okay, say this is cold. They were just showing up. I didn't know anything about them. What would I want to know? And that's a really important point for me to go back and uh, kind of smooth over any cognitive biases. I mean, none of us do this perfectly, right? None of us asked every question that could be asked or think of every item on the differential that, you know, we could imagine. And so it's important for me to, to give credence to what I've heard, but also to put a pin in it and say, you know what? I'm going to come back to this, but I really have to approach this patient fresh. Even if it's somebody I knew, you know, we work every, you know, three days, every four days. Maybe I admitted them, but things have changed. There's new information. So now I have to approach them with a clean slate again. So uh, then I sit down and I just kind of run the notes, run the labs, run the studies, try and, you know, wrap my head around what I think is going to be important. 
And uh, then if I have a, a student, and I often do, I go grab the student. So the next thing I'm going to do is go find the floor nurses because they're the ones who have been with the patient. They know what's going on. I don't. I spend a lot of my time on the mother-baby floor. So they've been taking care of this dyad. They know if breastfeeding is going well, if it's not, what's wrong, who's in the room, what the dynamics are. And it's really important for me to hear that. Now, I round at two different institutions. My main job is at Wayne UNC Memorial in Goldsboro, but I also do a little bit of moonlighting closer to home at New Hanover Regional Medical Center. And they have adapted differently. So at New Hanover, if it's daytime rounds, we have team rounds. And that not only involves the nurse, but it may involve a whole host of people. We could have the resident, physical therapy could be there, pharmacy could be there, social work could be there. And uh, often we troop right into the room, as many of us as will fit, and present in front of the patient. But that's really important because it gives us a chance to ask questions as they arise. Wait a minute, you said left, I heard right. What side hurts, you know? Or wait a second, who lives in the house again? Because was there a stepfather? Is the stepfather there? The stepfather's not there. Who else is there? You know, so you can clarify right there. And then hopefully you can get the patient and the family involved in the experience. Now at Goldsboro at Wayne UNC, things are a little smaller. So the nurse may or may not go in the room with me, but I still will have gotten sign out from the nurse before I go in. And then got to go see the patient, right? There's, there's a person at the end of all this. And the important thing for me is to really go in with curiosity and acceptance. I may have some preconceived notions walking into the room, and it's important for me to try and drop those, to try and acknowledge any biases I have, and then consciously say, you know what? I'm going to leave that right now. I have to leave that outside and walk in this room without biases. I will tell you one of the best tips I ever got is uh, from a friend of mine, another pediatrician, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, uh, who is at Seattle Children's for a long time and is now in Wisconsin, I guess because it rhymes with Swanson. She thought that would be more fun. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were talking about mindfulness and we were talking specifically about rooms where we anticipate conflict. So I might be heading into a room where the parents don't want to vaccinate. Or on newborn rounds, I might be heading into a room where parents don't want to give injected vitamin K. And immediately, I'm girded for battle, right? I think that the decision they're making, in my opinion, is a really bad decision. And at those, at those moments, it's most important for me to leave that when I walk in and to recognize that the person I'm about to talk to is frightened. They are frightened of something different than what I'm frightened of. I'm frightened that the baby's going to have a stroke or bleed to death. They're frightened of something else. And uh, I need to come in that room ready and willing to hear what they're worried about, ready to address that, acknowledge it. And, and what Wendy Sue told me, she said, you know, David, I will put my hand on the door and just feel the wood grain for a moment and take a breath before I walk in that room. And I did that as recently as yesterday. I knew that there was a mother who was going to be upset. We were going to have to transfer her 
infant to a higher level of care. And the nurse said, oh man, mom's already, she is really anxious already. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck walking in there. And uh, I thought, yeah, I am about to walk into a room with an appropriately very upset, very worried person. And I just stood and felt that door. I tried to feel what might be on the other side of that door, what emotions I might be dealing with, and just ground myself in the flatness and the smoothness and the grain of that wood and take that breath so that when I walked in, I wasn't feeling like, oh, good luck. I was feeling, how can I connect? Where can we come together over your child? And for me, that really helps. And the more I'm worried, the more I'm anxious about the situation I'm walking into, the more important it is for me to take that pause and really ground and then go in ready for whatever's on the other side. Wow, that was that was so incredible to listen to. And, and kind of going off of that, it, it makes it seem like grounding is really this dynamic process. It has to be. And there are two other mindfulness tricks that I use. Uh, you know, I studied media for a long time with the Academy. And I am aware that television is an insanely distracting medium. Its job is to get your attention. And so if I can at all find the controller, I turn the TV off if it's on and it's usually on. And as I do it, I explain, you know what? I am really easily distracted. I don't get to watch a lot of TV. And if something interesting is happening up there, I might watch it. I, I, I want to pay attention to you. And that helps me a lot because it's true, you know? I mean, if Ellen is doing her dance up there, I want to see that. And that's taken me out of this, this patient experience. I want, to, I want to know who's going to win the next question on the, on the game show, right? Uh, so I turn the TV off whenever I can. And then the other thing, and this is hard because we got to check our boxes on our electronic health record. And I believe in documenting really thoroughly, but I have to watch the faces because those micro expressions, those little, little looks of worry or anger or confusion that just float for a moment across a parent's or a patient's face, those are enormous clues to me as to what's going on, what the follow-up question is. Wait a second, you looked worried there. What, can you tell me what you're worried about? Is there something we haven't explained? Do you think this is gonna hurt? Are you worried that something bad's gonna happen to your child? Or you, you look angry. Tell me, has something happened here that you didn't like? Can we serve you better? And for that moment, I mean, it's, it can be exhausting. It's a lot of effort, but you just have to be there in that moment with that human because you are the instrument. You are the thermometer, you're the blood pressure cuff, you're the coulter counter. Your, your presence is the instrument designed to detect what a human can know. And if that weren't important, the whole thing could be done by an artificial intelligence program probably better. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think you really touched upon a lot of the things that I wanted to chat about in terms of um, the concept of rounding, uh, looking at those micro expressions right. on, on the faces of patients and their families. Um, and then looking a little forward and kind of looking toward change, what do you think is the single most important thing that needs to be improved upon in rounding? You know, I think that we become so task-oriented, right? 
the system is designed to maximize our productivity. That is what efficient business systems do. And maximizing productivity means doing everything you possibly can in as little time as possible with as fewer errors. And uh, it becomes so incumbent upon us to get the orders in, get the note written, make sure we checked all the boxes, coordinate care, et cetera, that it can be incredibly distracting from the thing that I think drew most of us into this profession, which is human connection. I mean, if we weren't interested in human connection, why are we not mortgage brokers? You know, why are we not insurance adjusters, right? There are other ways to make money, but this is an amazing way to have a ringside seat at the greatest drama that life has to offer. And so I would love to see increased efficiency in the systems that we use to get the job done. Labs have to be ordered. Meds have to be ordered. People have to be communicated with. If a note doesn't come out that makes sense, the receiving doc is not going to know what you did. These are all important functions, but paring them down to absolutely what needs to be done without fluff and really looking at how each system operates it to, to, to make it as user-friendly as possible so that the right thing is also the easy thing uh, gives us more time to get that eye contact, to hold a hand, to play with a baby, you know, to do the things that brought us to this profession in the first place. And ultimately, our patients benefit and we don't burn out. I think you're absolutely right. And thank you so much, Dr. Hill, for um, chatting with me today. You had a lot of really, really great insight. So I really appreciate it. I had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mark Lurkey, Chair and Associate Professor of the Department of Internal Medicine at the Western Michigan University Homer Stryker MD School of Medicine, my home institution. Let's see what he had to say. So, Dr. Lurkey, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, what I wanted to discuss really was all things rounding. What does rounding mean to you? Well, I absolutely love rounding. You know, I've been doing full-time academic medicine for 33 years. And during that time, I've rounded between eight to 16 weeks a year, um, usually one week at a time. Now, in the past, we used to round two weeks, even a month at a time. And I love rounding because you really get to see medical students and residents like in action, having to make decisions, having to decide things on the spot. And you kind of get to see the way that they think. And that is such a marvelous thing. Um, so it's it's really a great way for evaluating students and residents in real time and to see how they're really thinking about things. It's It's at the same time, by far the hardest weeks because sometimes the days between the rounding and the administrative work and the writing notes, the, the days sometimes stretch easily to 12 hours, but it's also the most rewarding. So it's, it's by one hand, something that's really difficult, physically arduous, but also just, it's what I live for. It's, it's so much fun and it's so exciting for me. Um, so it's, it's really, to me, one of the real essences of medicine and evaluating people. The other thing that you can judge so well is how well the learners, the students and the residents um, connect with their patients and their families. Uh, if they formed a strong bond, if they educate them well, if, this, if the patients understand what's going on um, with their hospital course, it's really, really terrific for that. 
I really like that. So it's not only, you know, teaching the patients and their families, but also recognizing and, and um, looking at how the residents and medical students are learning and how they're teaching the patients and families. So that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much fun. One of my favorite things to do is on one of the first day or two of rounds, I will ask the patient um, in front of the team, I'll say, okay, so your buddy from work calls you up and say, hey, Joe, why are you in the hospital? What do you tell them? And to me, that's a real opportunity to see how well the residents and the medical students have taught that patient about what is actually going on with their illness. And sometimes people have great answers. They'll say, well, I've got an infection in my lung and that made my emphysema worse. Or sometimes they'll say, I don't know, I just, I guess I'm sick. And I'll look at the resident team and I'll say, shouldn't he have a better idea what's going on with him right now? I mean, it's a real way to kind of see how well are they communicating and connecting with their patients. I think that's so important, that idea of feedback and kind of bringing it full circle. Yes. <laughs> um, and that idea of, of rounding being a dynamic process. Um, my next question then would be, uh, what do you feel like can be improved on uh, within the concept of rounding? What has really just been done because it's always been done that way? I think one of the biggest things uh, that has gotten worse over time is just the pure size of the teams, you know? I mean, it's like you got the attending, you got the the senior resident, usually a third year in our case in Kalamazoo, a couple interns, maybe a fourth year med student doing a sub-I, two or three third year students, pharmacy students. It just gets to be a little bit unwieldy. And so I think one of the things that you need to try to do is how to figure out which are the patients where you get the most value from learning and that the whole group needs to learn from and which are patients that maybe things are pretty stable and the whole group sort of knows about that patient and you can go more into individual smaller groups. So that's one of the things I'm playing around with, especially now with COVID, where you really need to try to keep the social distancing and the groups down is how do you figure out which are the patients that are real new and have a lot of learning value for the entire group and which are patients that you should kind of limit the number of learners in the room. And that's something that, that, that I, I continually try to work with. Yeah, I think that makes total sense that things are changing, obviously, in our era of, of COVID being our new normal. Um, and I think that's another undercurrent of uh, my conversations with other physicians as well, that rounding is really a dynamic process and, and needs to change and evolve given the situation. Um, and kind of in that same vein, um, you spoke a little bit about how COVID has altered parts of rounding. Are there any other ways in which COVID has affected the way in which you round? Well, I think it's good to keep in mind that, you know, the one thing that has just been so true is that COVID ruins everything. Um, it's just so true. COVID is so horrible. And, and it's really had a detrimental effect on rounds. So, for example, one of the things I absolutely hate is table rounds. I just, oh, I can't stand it. I, and maybe it's because I'm a little ADHD, but it's just I, I can't stay focused. I got to move. I got to see people. And so one of the things that I've had to do with COVID is kind of submit a little bit to some table rounds and try to figure out how you can make table rounds a little more useful and exciting. And you try to 
you know, pepper it with lots of little teaching moments and, and make sure that if the team has been assigned different topics to teach on, that they kind of use that time to do some teaching with the, with the table rounds. I try to make sure that they pulled up the computer so you can enter some of the orders and stuff like that as you're talking about it so you don't have to stop and do it again. Um, but yeah, it's one of the things COVID has really done is, is change the whole level of whether you do more teaching in the hallways or do teaching in the, in the, in the classroom at a table. Um, I really don't like table rounds, but it's something I've had to kind of submit to. Uh, the other thing that's bad about COVID is it really, really limits the interactions. I mean, uh, with, with patients, you, you have to protect PPE, you have to protect the learners and yourself. And so there's limited times that you can go in and see the patients too. So that's, that's had a profound effect. One of those things I've remarked on when I do make rounds uh, on, on our COVID patients, and, and it's something that just sort of hit me this last time that I rounded, is it's a chance to kind of support some of the other healthcare workers. Because, you know, as, as bad as it is for us as physicians and residents and students to go see the COVID patients, it's like a hundred times worse for the nurses. The poor nurses are in there, you know, eight, 12 hours a day, and we're maybe only in there an hour, hour and a half a day. So one of the things that, that's really been remarkable to me is several times uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was rounded, I just stopped and I talked to one of the nurses. I said, are you doing okay with all this COVID? And twice nurses just spontaneously broke down in tears. And, and they said, you know, I just didn't sign up for this. I just didn't think it was gonna be like this. And I, I think, one of the purposes sometimes of, of rounds, I'm learning, this is something that I, I wouldn't have thought of before, is to kind of check in with each other and check in with the other healthcare workers and make sure they're doing okay emotionally. Um, because this is, it's really tough, really tough. Such an important perspective to maintain, especially during this time that's so difficult for everybody, um, that, that rounding isn't necessarily just a time for everyone to come together for the patient, but that it can be a time for everybody to come together for each other, like you said. Yeah, and, and you got to keep checking in. I mean, this, this whole nature of this disease is it's so socially isolating. And, and the, on the other hand, I think we're dealing a lot more with death and dying. I mean, it would, used to be rare to have a patient die on, the, on, on our teaching service. And last week, I, I, three of the page, COVID patients I took care of passed away. And that's a lot for a team to deal with. Um, hell, that's a lot for me to deal with. And I'm an old guy who's sort of used to this. But it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a rounding needs to be a time for checking in on each other and making sure we're getting the the social and, and moral support that we all need. Thank you so much, Dr. Lurkey, for, for chatting with me today. And I'm really glad that we were able to talk about rounding in the context of COVID. For the pediatric perspective, I spoke with Dr. Anika Kumar, pediatric hospitalist at Cleveland Clinic Children's and clinical assistant professor of pediatrics at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine of Case Western Reserve University. She's both a fellow of the AAP and a fellow of the Society of Hospital Medicine. Let's see what she had to say. Welcome, Dr. Kumar. So the first question that I want to ask is, what does the concept of rounding mean to you? So rounding to me is actually a way of collaborating, right? So we round in the morning so we can explain the plan to our 
um, patients and families, we can explain the plan to our nursing staff, we can explain the plan to our colleagues, and we can get their feedback on our plan, and we can work with them to develop a plan that works best for them. So truly, in my perspective, rounding really is collaborating. Um, it's collaborating with the family, our consultants, our um, interdisciplinary colleagues like nursing staff, social work, care management, um, and then it's preparing everyone on what the plan for the day will be um, through that collaborative process. I like that idea of, of rounding being dynamic and collaborative and really integrating the team and the family um, and the patient. And from a pediatric perspective, what do you think is different or unique about rounds in the pediatric world? So in pediatrics, we have something called family-centered round. Um, which is a little bit different than adult medicine. In adult medicine, the person making the decisions is generally the patient. In pediatrics, the person making the decisions generally isn't the patient because they are a minor. And so they can't really make most of the decisions for themselves. They can have an input in the decisions. And clearly for our older patients, our teenage patients, even our school-age patients, it's important to get their perspective on our plan, but really the person making the decision is the parents. And oftentimes when patients are in the hospital, families and patients, especially children, are at their most vulnerable. And parents often feel like they've lost control or the guardian of the child feels like they've lost control and they don't, you know, in their job of making sure the child is safe and well taken care of, they bring them to the hospital. And then oftentimes they feel like once they come to the hospital, they lose that decision-making capability and power. And so it's really important from a pediatric perspective to engage the guardian and engage the family members in caring for the child. And that's why when I said that rounding is collaborative, it's collaborating with the family or the guardian to make sure that we provide a plan and a hospital course and care for the child that best fits them and their family. I think that's such an important and unique aspect of pediatrics, really incorporating the parents and, and the patient into the decision-making and the plan. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, another question I wanted to ask is your viewpoint on a concept within rounding or something that, that occurs during rounding that really just happens because it's always happened that way, but does it necessarily need to happen? Is there anything like that within rounding for you? So um, in hospital medicine and in medicine in general, in, in general we call that um, things we do for no reason because we don't really know the reason behind this tradition continuing, right? So um, one of the things that is a, I would say, annoying to me and maybe a pet peeve is we tell families we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. We tell a family at nine o'clock in the morning, you're going to be discharged today, but we don't start working on your discharge until noon, right? So if at nine o'clock you as um, a mom or a dad or a patient or a grandparent have been told you're going home today, well, I was told that three hours ago, how come I'm not home yet? Or how come I haven't gotten my discharge papers yet? So to me, um, you know, and one of the um, projects that I worked on when I uh, was on faculty at Penn State was 
kind of sending patients home. When we said you're being discharged, we were putting in the discharge orders, your discharge paperwork was done. The nurse was going to come in to do their discharge teaching. We did our uh, medical team discharge teaching on rounds. We would leave the room, the nurse would do the discharge teaching, and probably, you know, half an hour to an hour later, the patient actually left the hospital, which is much more patient-centric than saying, okay, so we have some more patients to see this morning, and we have some paperwork to do, but you're going home today. No, absolutely. So we would start the process the night or afternoon beforehand saying, okay, you're going to go home tomorrow. What what do we need to get you set up to go home tomorrow? Do we, do we need your prescriptions? Do we need to make sure you have a ride? All of those things. And so those are one of the things in my perspective, that's one of those things that I think we do uh, for no reason, because that's how we've always done it. But really from a patient's perspective, the sooner I can get home, if the doctor is saying that I can get home, the better it is for me and my family and my life. Most times there are extenuating circumstances. Um, and, you know, uh, there are always uh, differences for patients that, you know, or things that come up last minute. But for the most part, most families would like to go home as soon as they're told they're going home. Of course. <laughs> and then what do you like most about rounding? What do you hope to always maintain? Um, what I like most about rounding is is spending time with my patients and families. Um, I think that that is, to me, that is the joy of medicine, is spending time with my, um, with my patients. And, you know, whether it's playing with them as I listen to their heart and lungs or tickling them as I examine their abdomen or watching that interaction that they have with the caregiver or the parent that's in the room with them. That to me is what brings me joy. And that's what I enjoy the most about rounding. I also enjoy the teaching aspect of it. You know, um, one of the things in pediatrics um, that's really important is we provide the tools to family members for them to care for the child that was ill, right? And so a lot of what I do and my team does when we're rounding is explain things to family members, allow them to ask questions and give them the tools that they need to then be able to advocate and care for that child moving forward. I, I really like that and appreciate that, of course, being in a learner and a, and a trainee myself. Um, and then another question that I had was, you know, given all of this, given everything that we discussed, um, is there anything that you can really kind of creatively <laughs> reimagine or, or, or um, you know, see as a, as a possibility in rounding moving forward? To me, um, how can we creatively improve the concept of rounding, especially from a pediatric perspective? I think really how we can improve rounding is by empowering our families and empowering our patients. You know, I think it's really overwhelming as a patient to have a group of people walk in and to sit there and talk with you about these things. You know, most children are not comfortable seeing like seven adults walk into a room dressed in white coats or whatever, they're wearing a stethoscope, asking questions, right? And so, we have to make the pro the process most family centered as possible. You know, at some institutions, for instance, um, 
they have um, appointment-centered rounding. So all of the consultants um, caring for a patient that day are mm -hmm. scheduled to round together at 10.30 in the morning. And it's like they sent appointment invitations and everyone comes to the bedside or, you know, in the era of COVID, everyone gets on the Zoom call or whatever at that time. Um, and it's more family-centered because then the families can see all of the providers um, caring for the child, helping them care for their child uh, at one time. They can be involved in that multidisciplinary discussion. And I think, you know, what we need to do is, you know, as healthcare moves to a more patient-centric um, perspective, we also need to you know, those things we do for no reason need to move to the to a more patient-centered and family-focused perspective. And so I think that there is some great work being done all over the country to, to allow for um, a more patient-centric model. And I think you also have to think about the setting that you're rounding in. So I happen to round in three different kind of settings. So I round at a um, kind of a quaternary center um, where we care for children. I also round at, in the newborn nursery. And I also round at a um, long-term acute care facility slash acute rehab facility. And so how we round in those, how I round in those three settings actually varies on the type of patients I'm caring for and kind of what their short-term and long-term goals are. And so the rounding should also adapt to the setting that you're in. The way I round in the nursery is not the same way as I round it at my quaternary um, center. Similarly, I don't round that way when I round at the acute rehab hospital because I focus a lot more on interdisciplinary care at the acute rehab hospital with the therapists and the nursing staff and the care managers. Whereas in the nursery, it's really just me and the nurse um, and the family. Whereas at the quaternary care center, you know, there's me, the nursing staff, our interdisciplinary social workers, care managers, consultants, you know, there's a lot more people. And so your rounding should also evolve and change based on the setting, the patient care setting and the people who are involved in your interdisciplinary team. I think that's so true that rounding is a, an evolutionary process and, and something that's dynamic and, and should fit the situation and, and what's called for and necessary for the patient. Thank you so much, Dr. Kumar. Um, you had a lot of insightful things to say and I really appreciated your time. Uh, my name is Oliver Holland. I'm a an emergency medicine resident. Uh, I'm a fourth year at Yale New Haven Hospital. Um, I did my uh, undergraduate medical education at uh, University of Chicago. Um, and um, yeah, I am uh, actually going into fellowship in interventional pain. Great. This episode is all about rounding. And I saw that you did some research on the topic. Can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired that for you? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, it probably to some of your listeners may seem funny that you're talking to an emergency medicine resident who almost fundamentally does not round about rounds, but, um, university of Chicago, where I went to medical school is 
um, an institution that has um, uh, come has has really gotten known for its interest in evaluating and thinking about medical education, and that was something that my mentor, um, Dr. Barrett Fromey, who was a pediatrician there, um, sort of really kind of highlighted. And um, over the course of my first two years, <clears throat> I would shadow on rounds, and I would sort of have this like vague understanding of what rounds were for. Um, and what I kind of didn't understand is that in your first two years, when you're in your um, sort of preclinical, um, or in some places like a year and a half, when you're in your preclinical um, time, like this whole concept and language of, uh, of clinical medical education is just like super foreign. Um, and so there was this kind of like fundamental question that I would pose, which is like, well, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of rounds? Um, and from that sprung a research project um, that sought to ask the question, what's the purpose of rounds in a qualitative fashion to better understand and pose sort of a um, hypothesis generating question to um, people within internal medicine and pediatrics about what they felt like the purpose of rounds was. And um, it, it really offered a springboard to sort of really understand the world of medical education, the world of clinical education, um, and uh, the way in which that, those interact with patient care over the course of, uh, of my four years at University of Chicago. I feel like that's a really relatable question for many med students, especially on maybe hour four of standing around in the hospital on rounds. I know that's definitely crossed my mind before. I was wondering, what were the main findings that you got from med students, residents, and attendings when you were talking to them about what their perceived purpose of rounding was? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think one of the things that was really satisfying about the, 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 the qualitative aspect of this project was that over the course of talking to these theoretically disparate groups um, of medical students, residents, and attendings, um, there was this universality where they recognized um, in, uh, for, for lack of a better term, the sort of fundamental purposes. And in particular, those were identified as communication, um, medical education, patient care, and assessment. Um, and the way in which each one of those was weighted in the conversations we were having with each group was different. But in general, those were the major themes that came out of the interviews that we had. Could you tell us a little bit more about how it was weighted differently, depending on which group you were talking to? Of course. And I think one of the things that was really um, uh, potentially not surprising is that sort of this idea of assessment, um, specifically from medical students more so than any other group, um, and to a certain extent attending, where rounds was this opportunity to sort of really assess where a particular learner was because of a particular set of skills that are needed to performed, needed to be performed during the act of rounding. And um, each one felt um, that there was sort of like a different, different emphasis on that, but it was definitely a theme that kept on sort of coming up. And what's interesting is that there were certain groups of attendings who felt like rounds were not like in any way, shape or form, like uh, built for assessment. Um, and so there was some sort of surprise to hear uh, the, that uh, some of the medical students and some residents felt like that was like the main purpose or a purpose that was like principal to, to rounding. So I think that the, the, the sort of interesting aspect of this and being able to sort of interview different people at different stages of their training and their positions in the hierarchy of, of clinical medica medical education, um, you ended up getting very particular perspectives. 
Yeah, certainly. I think from the medical student perspective, sometimes we have not that much face time with attendings. So rounds becomes that critical time for feedback. And it's what a lot of our comments or even our grades are based off of. How have your thoughts on rounding changed as you went through your evolution from medical student to resident now? So yeah, as a, as a resident, emergency medicine um, is such a dynamic field in the sense that um, we are constantly in the mode of sort of being reactionary to a certain extent. Um, and because of that, there isn't this opportunity to be as reflective. And so um, in many ways, we, we lack the um, formal structure of rounding. But what, what makes up for that in a lot of ways is that in, in place of that is we have a very specific direct relationship with an attending um, that isn't necessarily present within sort of the world of internal medicine. I think one of the things that I have seen, though, is that on my off-service rotations within the worlds of surgery and within the worlds of um, medical intensive care and in the cardiology coronary care unit, um, like I end up getting exposed to rounding um, a, a fair bit over the course of my four years. And I think that um, there are a lot of things that emergency medicine does really well that I think the, uh, these other services could adopt in terms of this approach to efficiency, this approach to sort of presentations that I think um, could be absorbed in some ways. And I think in, in hindsight, there are also so many opportunities for reflection uh, within some of the longer rounds that you experience within the intensive care unit that I think could really highlight and offer an opportunity for both learning and development within the emergency department in a lot of ways. Gotcha. Can you really walk us through what that is like? Uh, practically speaking, in emergency medicine, how are you communicating that information and incorporating teaching throughout? Oh, for sure. And so I think that, um, you know, everybody's going to do it a little bit differently. And at different um, stages in training, you're going to have a sort of um, a different set of expectations about how you're presenting and what you're presenting about. Um, but in, in, in you know, um, emergency medicine, in a lot of ways, is the distillation. Um, and it is the sort of um, simplification of a lot of presentations where you kind of cut out a lot of um, uh, the complexity and you kind of sim you kind of simmer it down and boil it down to its absolute essential. So like you, you really are, are talking about you give like a, a one or two sentence description about why the patient's there in terms of your um, your uh, your HPI and then you go directly into either um, a review of systems or a pertinent review of systems followed by um, like a brief description of the vital signs um, and a limited physical exam followed by like a very quick differential. Like I, I think that uh, the best way to explain this would be in a, in a brief sort of like 60 second period of time, um, I have a 40, 40 year old female presenting in the setting of shortness of breath. It started in the past two days. She has a history of asthma. Um, she has been smoking more recently. She hasn't been using her inhaler, no recent fevers. She hasn't been coughing. Um, nobody else is really sick at home. She's hypoxic on my exam. She's breathing at about 25 times a minute with a SpO2 of 85% um, and a heart rate in the uh, high 90s. Um, on physical exam, she's diffusely wheezy. Um, there is no other significant findings outside of that. And uh, on my differential, I think asthma exacerbation versus potential pneumonia and lower suspicion for like pulmonary embolism. So within a very very condensed period of time, you're able to sort of get across a lot of information. And I think that that refinement comes with four years of practice and it comes with sort of 
seeing hundreds of patients and being able to sort of like very, very quickly learn the language that is going to sort of convey that you have an understanding of this patient's particular physiology. Um, and I think that uh, it, it, it allows us to sort of be very, very quick and make decisions very quickly um, without having to sort of get bogged down in a lot of um, things that are critically important later down the line in terms of some of their like social determinants of health and whether they have access to certain medications or whether they've been refilled, but which may make up a large portion of internal medicine rounds. But I think it, it reflects the needs and the demands of the clinical environment that you're working in. Wow, that was a really impressive example of how succinctly you were able to summarize the patient case. Is this something that usually goes on right at the patient's bedside? So it depends. Uh, some attendings want to do it at the bedside. Um, oftentimes it's done sitting in front of a computer with a brief review of the patient's chart in front of you. Um, and uh, I think um, uh, in addition to that, the other thing that we do, which is potentially a little bit different than other fields is I think there's this concept of running the list, which is when you have a certain number of patients um, on your sort of that you're carrying, you can run the list that is like a very quick summation of what they came for, what has happened to them and what needs to be done in order to get them, get them, to get them where they need to go. Um, and in a lot of ways, um, internal medicine, they kind of have a similar system specifically between senior residents and junior residents or senior residents and medical students in terms of like identifying tasks that are, are sort of outstanding. And then even more so in the intensive care environment, um, oftentimes people will do like afternoon rounds, which will be um, coming back after the workday to sort of catch up and make sure and see how things have changed after um, a sort of different things have been done to patients in terms of vent settings and antibiotic changes and pressure changes, all those things that can sort of make that up. So there is this kind of spectrum of how the principle of rounding in terms of communication and in terms of the opportunity to sort of um, demonstrate your understanding of a particular type of medicine um, comes up in a in a manner that is very well suited to the environment you're practicing in, in a lot of ways. And, and I find that there are a lot of similarities, despite the fact that we don't necessarily exist within a rounding environment. Going back to your paper, two of the questions that you asked participants in the focus groups were, what do you perceive the purpose of rounds to be? And then what do you believe the ideal purpose of rounds should be? How would you answer those questions? Yeah, so I think one of the things that um, it, it was so interesting to me when we were formulating the questions that we wanted to ask that we thought that these were going to be two different questions. And one of the things that was kind of stunning to us is that they were interpreted um, almost universally like, oh, um, what we feel like the purpose of rounds is currently is the same thing as what we perceive the purpose of rounds should be to a certain extent. And I think that um, in a lot of ways, my own perspective um, is that uh, the purpose of rounds really is an opportunity to sort of like integrate and hybridize all of these, um, these sort of like very important facets of um, clinical care um, with training the next generation of physicians. Um, and I think that um, first and foremost, uh, it, it will always come down to the ability to um, sort of like really prioritize patient care at the end of the day. But there is a way to do that. Um, and I strongly believe that there is a way to do that, that elevates patient care by really placing an emphasis on 
sort of like in the moment medical education, um, as opposed to um, sort of very particular types of, uh, and I'm going to use a word like a Socratic method of like of pimping to a certain extent about like lab values or things that are kind of like not necessarily um, relevant. They're relevant in the like micro, but not necessarily relevant in the macro understanding of how to take care of a patient. And I think that for me, um, the best attendings that I worked with really highlighted an ability to integrate a type of medical education that elevated our understanding of the patient and the patient's problems in a way that made sure that they were getting exactly the care that they needed. Um, and so that was kind of just like the, at the end of the day, when I finished this paper and then after I finished sort of my fourth year of medical school and, and a lot of like the most intense um, sort of rounding experiences I've had, I, I really felt like the purpose of rounds was not only to, to sort of take care of the patient and communicate those plans, but to then use that time to educate in order to make sure that moving forward, people were more independent, more capable to sort of really improve how we care for patients. Another thing that really stood out to me from your paper was this idea of, of time being a, a major constraint during rounds for education. How do we overcome that challenge? We exist in a world in which um, I think efficiency is hammered on over and over and over again. And I think we're increasingly dominated by this concept of like metrics and um, and discharges and discharges before a particular time and emergency medicine. It's like patients you see per hour and like the time to door or time to discharge. And there's all these different metrics that, that are now sort of weighing on um, both the attendings and to a certain extent the residents in a lot of ways, less so the medical students because they just don't have sort of an understanding of the sort of like bureaucratic or sort of like more um, administrative aspect of medicine. But I think from the perspective that um, I've taken away after reading a fair amount of the medical education literature, is that like rounds don't have to take a long time. There are a, a lot of ways to sort of improve the timeliness and speediness of rounds without necessarily sacrificing education. And I think a lot of people will make excuses not educate because they feel like it's going to prolong um, what they already feel like is a, a rounding experience that may be too long. And that may be because they never actually received any formal training about how to incorporate medical education into that experience. And I think um, I wrote about in the uh, discussion, there's a, a couple of papers that really highlight that actually incorporating um, specific medical education training within the training pathway of people who become like academic educators radically improves the quality of their rounds in terms of their ability to deliver education while not increasing the overall amount of time they spend. Um, and um, I don't want to be like prescriptive in the sense that I don't want to say we need to do this, but I do think that there needs to be a recognition within especially the academic environment that um, people who function as clinical educators should have greater exposure to um, the sort of like the foundations of education and the foundations of medical education because it directly impacts how we sort of like how we function. Um, and I think it's, it's so stunning to me that we are expected to be educators if you end up in an academic position, um, but never receive any formal education about how to be an educator. And I think that that's one of the things that 
um, really was um, kind of shocking to me when I was reading this. And it was it, it, it took a while for it to sink in. And then I realized that the best educators that I worked with um, on my uh, my third and fourth years of, of medical school were all people who had gone through a particular medical education pathway that the University of Chicago had sponsored. And I think that that was something that really highlighted the value of some of these um, uh, additional training opportunities for, uh, for academic clinicians. I would love to see more education about education and medical training. Thanks so much, Dr. Holland, for sharing your wisdom on this topic with us. And because we are doctors who create, I wanted to ask you, what are your creative outlets outside of work? You know, I'm an unusual, um, I've, I've had an unusual path to medicine, but I originally went to art school. I actually went to and got my bachelor in fine arts in sculpture and photography. And, um, you know, I don't have a, access to a studio, nor do I have um, the sort of time needed to sort of really develop uh, and continue sort of my craft. But um, I've, I've taken a lot of uh, my passion for photography and continued it over the past uh, 15 years and, and really sort of continue to do that on the side and um, document my family and document sort of uh, life experiences. And having that um, has really served as a sort of a grounding um, sort of hobby for me in part because I can look back and sort of have this visual diary of, of, of my life over the past 15 years because I think so often people can think that medical education and, and medical school and residency, you're sort of so tied up in work that you never get an opportunity to live life. And I think um, I think in a lot of ways, that's no longer the case. I think that if you make a conscious effort to sort of create some boundaries, um, you really can sort of thrive outside of medicine. And um, I think in a lot of ways you need to. And I think for me, photography has served sort of a, a useful um, sort of outlet and, and also sort of documentation of uh, a life outside of medicine. And that's all we've got for this episode of Doctors Who Create. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.